So how many of you guys remember the old Rand McNally Road Atlas? I mean, most of us kept one of them in our car. Maybe some of you guys still have one. If so, you're probably kind of old and weird. But they're about that big, and we'd either kind of fold them in half or roll them up and put them under the seat or something. And then we'd pull it out and study it whenever we wanted to go somewhere, and we weren't quite sure how. I mean, now it's GPS, right? Just, just ask your phone how to get there. Of course, maybe the best way to get somewhere when you're not sure how to get there is to follow someone who actually knows the way. Find someone who does know the way, someone who's been there, and follow them, which is kind of a novel idea for some of us guys because we kind of like the idea of an adventure. Because here it is, guys. Just wanting to go somewhere isn't nearly enough. A couple of weeks ago, Rachel was singing on our worship team. We have several on our worship team who are incredibly gifted by God, and Rachel is one of them. But Rachel told me about this bacon in a glass at the OBC kitchen in Lexington. Here's what she told me. Well, something like this. Put it this way. She said, bacon in a glass is proof that there really is a God. Or maybe something like that. Anyway, I don't know where the OBC kitchen is, but I want to try that bacon in a glass. So I figure I'm just going to jump in my truck and start driving and there's a chance I'll find it, right? I mean, I'm I know that it's east and maybe a little bit south of here, so I'll just get going and see if I can find it, right? I'd be kind of stupid. You see, just wanting to go somewhere is not enough. Our dreams and our desires are not enough, are they? You need to know the way. Someone needs to know the way. Maybe you need to find somebody who, who has been there and they know the way and maybe you need to follow them. So... Which road will you choose? And here's the deal. Whatever road you choose pretty much dictates where you'll end up. It really doesn't matter where you want to go. What matters is which road you choose. So, the roads you've chosen getting you where you want to go? Are they? If you keep on heading down the roads that you're on now, where, where will it take you? If you keep heading down the road that you're on financially, where will that take you? Keep spending the way you spend now and saving the way that you save now, where will it take you financially? Or if you keep heading down the, the road that you're on physically, where will that take you? Keep eating the way that you eat now or exercising the way that you exercise now, getting the kind of rest that you do now, where will that take you physically? Or if you keep heading down the road you're on as a husband or a wife or in a relationship, Where's that going to take you? Relationally. Just keep treating each other the way that you do now, talking to each other, loving on each other, or not the way you do now. Where will it take you? Relationally. Or if you keep heading down the road that you're on at school or at work, where's it going to take you professionally? Keep studying the way that you study now, turning in the kind of work that you turn in now. Where's that going to take you professionally? See, guys, it really doesn't matter where you want to go. What matters more is which path you have chosen. How about this one? If you keep heading down the road that you're on spiritually, where will that take you? Just keep giving God the place in your life that you're giving Him right now. Where will that take you spiritually? In this life and in the next. Does that matter to you? 
So, do you actually know where you are with God right now? I mean, if He really is like God, that's something we need to know, right? If God really does hold the keys to a way better life in this world and, a, and an infinitely better life in the next, that's something we need to know, right? So, where do you stand with God right now? You believe in God? It's a starting point, but it's not enough. I mean, even the demons believe in God. Or maybe you believe in God, but do you really know Him? I'm not asking whether you know about God. Do you know God? Does God know you? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Or how about this one? Maybe you believe in God, but do you actually love Him? Be honest. I mean, a lot of Jesus followers believe in God, but actually... They just kind of tolerate him at most. I mean, James talked about that last week, when we believe in God but don't really love him, probably because we don't really know him. Well, here's another one for you. Maybe you believe in God, but are you actually following him? Right now, are you doing life with God, for God, God's way? Are you an actual Jesus follower? Are you at least trying? Be honest now. Listen, guys. We believe that following Jesus leads to a way better life in this world and an infinitely better life in the next. So, bottom line, where do you want to go? Where do you want to end up in this life? Where do you want to end up in the next? And is the path that you have chosen getting you or going to get you there? Maybe this question is more important. Where does God want you to go? Does that matter to you? I mean, our God wants the very best for you. He, he, and if, he wants, if what He wants for you is, is important to you, are you on the path that He mapped out for you to get there? Are you actually a Jesus follower? You see, all of us Jesus followers struggle sometimes to follow Him. And because of that, we're very grateful for grace. But some of us Jesus followers, well, we kind of hardly follow him at all. Think about it. Are you smart enough, strong enough, good enough to get where where God wants you to go without actually following Jesus? Now, a lot of people who believe in God have what they think are some pretty good reasons for not following Jesus. For example, there are those who actually do believe in God. I mean, philosophically, creation only makes sense if there is a creator. But they don't really believe in Jesus, God in a bod, the Son of God. A whole lot of people think Jesus was a remarkable man, maybe one of the greatest men ever. But no more than that, he was just a man. And, I suppose, if you're not going to be a Jesus follower... You better hope that's true. better hope Jesus was just a man, right? And if you're hoping Jesus was just a man, you have plenty of people right there with you. You'll find them in the schools teaching our kids. You'll find them on TV. You'll find them on the social media. You'll find them in some of our pulpits. Men and women who hope Jesus is not the Son of God. And coming up with all of these erudite and sophisticated reasons for rejecting him. The Bible calls these false teachers. And they can be very, very, very convincing to those who really don't want to believe in Jesus. 
But sometimes we don't follow Jesus for other reasons. Some people just kind of pick and choose the parts of Jesus following they like, the parts they agree with. We kind of create a God. We kind of create a Jesus who agrees with us. But guys, if he really is like God, that's not going to work, is it? And there are some people who start out as Jesus followers who just kind of get distracted. There's so many other things to do, so many other things that are good. I, I know I'm supposed to worship and connect and grow and serve, but, but I've got to pay the bills and my job requires some overtime and I need some downtime and I need some time in the gym and some time at the lake and there's soccer and volleyball and football and baseball and travel ball and dance and, and Jesus following just kind of gets pushed down the priority list. I guess you could call it spiritual ADD, which I think is kind of like an epidemic. And others kind of quit following Jesus because, well, sin is more fun. I mean, I love the way Craig Groeschel puts it. He says, if sin isn't fun for you, you're not doing it right. Now, it's always going to take you to an, a place where you don't want to be. But sometimes that forbidden fruit, that, that sin is just intoxicating, right? You, you know it's wrong, but it feels so good to visit that website. You know it's wrong, but it feels so good to respond to her flirtations. You know it's wrong, but it feels so good to just lash out and waste that jerk. Uh, guys, none of us, none of us is strong enough, smart enough, good enough to defeat sin on our own. Our spirit may be willing, but as Jesus said, the flesh is always too weak on our own. Have you ever been there, done that? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you just think that Jesus following simply costs too much. And others kind of quit following Jesus because, well, I don't want to follow anyone. No one's the boss of me. Maybe you'll accept Jesus as your Savior, but you're not too keen about accepting Him as your Lord, your boss, your master telling you guys that for most of us, the biggest enemy to Jesus in our life is not something out there. It's, it's in here. It's that part of every single one of us that is stubborn and obstinate and pig-headed and self-centered. We know it's wrong, but it's my life, right? Right? Well, actually, really, it's not. So we've got all these reasons for not following Jesus, but I, I wonder whether they're Reasons or excuses, because there's a difference, right? A reason becomes an excuse when we're trying to shift blame, to justify ourselves, to rationalize our misbehavior, our sin. We make excuses when we know we're being stupid or self-destructive. But think about it, guys, really. What good reason exists for not following Jesus? If He really is God, if He really is the way, the truth, and the life, if He really is the key to a way better life in this world and an infinitely better life in the next, what reason for not following Him could ever be anything more than a lame excuse? I guess all that kind of reminds me of a parable that Jesus told one time. Here it is, Luke chapter 14. Jesus said to them, There was once a man who was giving a great feast, to which he invited many people. When it was time for the feast, he sent a servant to tell the guests, come, everything is ready. 
Now, sometimes Jesus' stories have pieces in them that are a little weird to us because he was telling them in a different place, a different time, to people whose customs were different than our own. Back then, a host would invite his friends to a feast, and depending on how many accepted the invitation, the host would choose the menu, and and how much wine and how much meat am I going to need, and on the day of the feast, uh, an animal would be butchered, and the, the feast would be prepared, and when everything is ready, then the servant would be sent out to summon the guests. In other words, the guests have already agreed to come. The guests have already been assigned a seat at the table. And now their food is ready. Verse 18. But they all began one after the other to make their excuses. Now, think about it. It would be kind of like after all of your guests have arrived to your, 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 your feast, they're all sitting in the, the living room waiting while you finish setting the table, preparing the food, lighting the candles, and starting up your Spotify, right? And you send your kid to tell them that the dinner is served, and one of the guys looks up and says, well... I think I need to go home and mow the lawn. And he's out the door. And you're like, what? And the second guy is like, uh, I forgot to feed the cat. I, I got to go. And she's out the door. And you're seriously? And a third guy is like, I can't believe I forgot. Kentucky's on tonight. Pre-game starts in 10 minutes. I got to go. How would you feel? Your house is ready, the food is ready, and your guests bail without any reason worth squat. Verse 18. First guest told the servant, I have bought a field and I must go and look at it. Please accept my apologies. You tell me, is that a good reason or a lame excuse? Now, Jesus is telling this story in the Middle East, a place where there's a lot of desert, not very much good farmland. So back then, people were extremely careful when it came to buying a field. You'd learn everything you could about the land way before you bought it. What kind of soil does it have? What kind of drainage? Does it face the sun? That's important. What kind of crops have been grown on it? And this guy claims that he needs to go look at a field he's already bought. How stupid is that? That'd be kind of like my Colin Julian saying, hey, I just bought a house. Haven't seen it yet. But I'll be a little bit late for dinner because I need to go check it out. Now, in their world, a lame excuse is an insult. Kind of still is. Now, maybe if it was something like, I mean, I, I'm so sorry, I've been negotiating for this piece of land for months, and I just got a call from the owner, and he's going to sell the land out from underneath me if, unless we settle on a price tonight. I, I am so sorry, but I've got to go. And now this guy is like, I bought a field and checking it out right now is more important than you are. I'm out of here. Now, if he was the only jerk, the meal would probably be able to go on. But here's the second guy, verse 19. The first guest, or another guest said, I have bought five pairs of oxen. I'm on my way to, to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Maybe that doesn't sound too weird to us, but that's because not too many of us are in the market for a pair of oxen or two or five. But these guys are farmers. And farmers would know how stupid this excuse is. This isn't a reason. This is an excuse. Every farmer out there knows that you have to try out a pair of oxen before you buy them. Are they going to pull together? Are they paired? A lot of them don't. Will they tire at the same speed? That matters. Are they going to respond well to your commands? 
And this jerk is saying something like, man, I just paid good money for five used cars. I want to go see if they actually run. Good reason or lame excuse? You got to admit that what he's really telling the host is this. And these stupid oxen are way more important to me than you are. And we say things like that to God a lot. And then the last twit in the story, here's what he says. Another one says, I, I've just gotten married. For that reason, I can't come. <laughs> in other words, so when I accepted your invitation, I forgot I was going to get married today. And when we get home, I intend to be very preoccupied for a while. Really? I mean, this excuse is not only lame, it's crude. And back then, you just didn't talk about messing around with your wife like this. A little more chivalry was expected. And this guy's like, sorry, dude, I just got a woman waiting for me in my bedroom, if you know what I mean. I'm busy. Good reason? Lame excuse. Unfortunately, a lot of people have used that one on God, too. So, verse 21. The servant went back, told all of this to his master, to our God, and the master is furious. He's furious. Which I suppose would be tolerable unless the master really is God. You don't want God to be furious with you. Master's furious because he doesn't buy our excuses. Master's furious and he says to the servant, hurry out into the streets, the alleys of the town, bring back the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Soon the servant said, your order's been carried out, sir, but there's still room for more. So the master says to the servant, go out to the country roads and lands and make the people come in so my house will be full. And here it is. He says, I tell you that none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. Which I suppose wouldn't be tragic if we were simply talking about bacon in a glass. But we're not. What reason will you give for not following Jesus that won't sound pitifully lame on that day? You see, Jesus says to us, follow me. Follow me, which could mean, come along, guys, hang along, hang with me, go where I'm going, let me take you where I'm going. And there's a bit of that in this, I think. Or it could mean, follow my example, do the kind of things that I, I do, say the kind of things that I say, do things my way. And I think there's quite a bit of this in his follow me. Or Jesus could mean, follow me, not them. Because there's all kinds of people out there who, they, who think they know where you should go and how you should get there. And Jesus says, don't follow those twits. Follow me, guys. I am the way to real life for now and for forever. And I think there's a whole lot of this too. See, the Bible word for not following Jesus is sin. That's it. Not a very popular word today for some. A lot of people out there trying to cancel that word today, but it essentially boils down to this. Sin, sin means not to follow Jesus. You don't follow Jesus for whatever the reason, whatever the excuse. At its simplest, sin, sin means I know what God wants, I know what Jesus wants, and I'm going to do what I want instead. And whenever we sin, we concoct our reasons, don't we? After all, Jesus... It's just a man, right? So why would I have to follow him? I mean, my teachers, my profs, they're smart guys, right? They don't follow him. My friends, people I care about, they don't follow him. 
The influencers out there, they're not following him. Or maybe what Jesus said is right for you, but that doesn't make it right for me, does it? Don't I have the right to make my own choices? It's my life. I get to choose what's right and wrong for me. I have the right to be happy, right? Or maybe this one. I think Jesus is wrong. At least for me on this one, following Jesus on this makes no sense. I think my way is smarter than his way. Or maybe his way is just too hard. It's going to cost too much. And here's what's troublesome. Here's what happens. The more you keep telling God no, the harder it gets to tell him yes. You see, we dig these ruts. We dig these deep, deep ruts of disobedience. And the scary thing is, the deeper we get in sin, the more comfortable we get in sin, the less sinful it feels. Not following Jesus starts feeling normal, which puts us in a very, very dangerous place with our God. Because Jesus really is God. He really is our designer. He really is our creator. He really is way smarter than we are and way better than we are. And for some crazy weird reason, he loves us. And he only wants the best for us. And none of us, no one, will ever outthink God. Our way, when it clashes with his, will never ever lead to a better outcome than doing life with God, for God, God's way. See, you were built to do life with God, for God, God's way forever. And the only way to experience the life you were designed to live will be to follow him. Not just believe in him, but follow him. So, is the road you have chosen getting you where you want to go? If you keep heading down the road that you're on, where's it going to take you? If you keep heading down the road that you're on spiritually, where's it going to take you? If you keep giving God the place in your life that you're giving Him right now, where's it going to take you spiritually in this life and in the next? Do you believe in God? It's a starting point, but it's not enough. Maybe you do believe in God, but do you really know Him? I'm not asking whether you know about God. Do you know Him? Does God know you? Or how about this one? Maybe you do believe in God, but do you actually love Him? Be honest. I mean, a lot of Jesus followers believe in God, but, but in actuality kind of tolerate Him at most. Probably because we really don't know Him. And here's the question for today. Maybe you believe in God, but are you actually following Him? Right now, are you doing life with God, for God, God's way? Are you an actual Jesus follower? At least trying right now. Because here it is, guys. Where do you want to end up? Where do you want to end up in this life? Where do you want to end up in the next? And is the path that you're on going to get you there? And this is the bigger question. Where do you think God wants you to go? Does that matter to you? And if it does, are you on the path that he has mapped out to get you there? Are you a Jesus follower? Because some of us Jesus followers follow him hardly at all. 
None of us are smart enough or strong enough or good enough to get where he wants us to go without actually following him. And I know that you've got your reasons for not following Jesus, if you want. I know you have reasons for your sin. But in the end, don't you think all of our reasons will be exposed as rather hollow excuses? So we've got some recommitment to do, I think, to Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, and our Lord. You see, part of worship, what worship is about, is taking stock. It's about remembering who we are and what we stand for. Are you a Jesus follower? And are you standing tall for Jesus? What choices are you making right now that are simply not appropriate for a Jesus follower? It's time right now, isn't it, to lay those at his feet, to ask his forgiveness, his grace, to ask for his wisdom and his strength, to commit to being a Jesus follower. Let's pray together. Father, you sent your son, not just to die for us, which is absolutely remarkable, but to show us how to live so we could follow him. Give us the wisdom and the strength and the courage to make him the center of who we are. Help us to make him not only our Savior, but our Lord. And it's a tough struggle because sin is powerful and self is powerful. and We're going to need your help. So give us your wisdom and give us your strength and give us your grace. And thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.